sure to rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. We have a fantastic guest for episode two, Nick Stauskas. Before we get to that, though, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, DraftKings. The 2021 college basketball season is here. Teams around the league took the offseason to retool and revamp and are ready to hit the court. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, has rolled out another one of their can't-miss offers. Trying DraftKings Sportsbook is easy, so what are you waiting for? Get in on all the action now. To celebrate the return of basketball, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new players 100 to 1 odds on any featured matchup this week. That's right. All you have to do is bet $1 on any featured matchup this week, and if your team wins, you cash a crisp $100. While we're all excited for the return of basketball, let's not forget football's playoffs are right around the corner. So head to the app now to check out all the DraftKings daily odds boosts. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So make sure to download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code FIELD68 when you sign up to get 100 to 1 odds on any future matchup this week. That's code FIELD68 for new players to get a shot at $100 on any future matchup this week for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Like I said, we have a great guest in Nick Stauskas, but before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about Michigan basketball. You know, I haven't been playing too much recently. The last game was against Penn State, 62-58 win. You know, they don't play again until Christmas Day, which is, I mean, to me, it's ridiculous, I think. You know, I don't want to be on here all negative to start the podcast, but to have all this time off and then tell these kids, like, oh, yeah, you're just going to play on Christmas. And they came out and said, that these kids agreed to it. Like, what are you going to really not agree to play these games? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And you take away some time that they could possibly get with family. I understand, you know, there's some COVID stuff. So we're even going to let them leave campus anyways. Maybe that's not a good option. I think you saw what happened with uh, Michigan football and the Thanksgiving stuff and the test that happened, the positive test that happened after that and missed the game Ohio State. So who knows? It, it's, it, it's tough. But to play on Christmas Day is tough, and I understand this is a moneymaker, especially this year when there's only now six non-conference games, and they need these moneymakers, but I don't know, at the same time, you're kind of competing with the NBA, so maybe the day before, the day after, some New Year's games like they do, I don't really know what the best option is, but we'll start talking a little more Michigan basketball. They look pretty good. I like their defense, I and mean, there's still some questions with the offense, obviously. They don't know. They, they know that. Know that. Everyone knows that, you know, it's no secret. Uh, you know, Isaiah and, and Franz didn't have the greatest of games, but I'm not worried about their talent, really. Uh, you, you can win 62 or win games in the Big Ten scoring 62 points uh, if you play defense like that. But Penn State's not the most powerful offensive team, I guess you could say. So they are going to have to pick it up. I mean, Hunter is a, just a great constant right now. And I think he's just going to do so well in the Big Ten. I think he only has to play Garza once and maybe Coburn twice. I'm not really sure. Uh, I think, yeah, Coburn twice. I'm not sure whether big guys are really going to match up well with him. So it's a, it's a funny spot now watching Michigan basketball with a, with a big guy like that that's going to dominate and a guy you can go to in the post. And his passing from the top of the key has been really impressive. I would love, love to see more of that. A lot of uh, – you know, he's not, he's not the player Sabonis is, but, you know, watching the Pacers, I watched DeMontis Sabonis and seeing him work in the high post and you got guys cutting and you got, I mean, you've got Livers and, and Wagner cutting, like, what are you going to do with that? These guys are bigger than their opponents 
and they can body them. They're, they're smart. They know when to move and you get that spacing and open up the middle. I think it'd be great. I think they're still, you know, figuring themselves out. Like I said, there's only, there was only six games before the big 10 started. So, I mean, good luck figuring out your offense when you got two grad transfers and young guys, uh, you know, freshmen, Franz is still coming into himself and figuring things out. Like there's a lot to figure out. And so I don't want to be down, but I would say looking at their schedule, it does, there is a little cause for concern just because their beginning games are the easiest. They got, what is it exactly? I wrote it down here. One of their first 12 games right now in the Big Ten, including the Penn State game, is against, only one is against currently ranked teams. And then the last seven of eight games are against currently ranked teams. And we'll see if Ohio State is in that last eight. We'll see if they last in the top 25. Um, even then, six of the last eight. So they're going to, you know, even if they figure it out towards the end of the season, they're going to have a bunch of tough competition at the end. And so, you know, you, you, you never know what's going to happen with those games. So, you know, these close games with, with Penn State, um, you know, they'll probably have more, more close games just because they're still figuring themselves out. And it is the Big Ten after all. I mean, it is knock it out, grind it out basketball at, at a lot of times, especially when the talent gets lower. Those teams love to grind it out, slow the game down, you know, take less shots. Um, but I am hopeful. There's a lot of room for improvement. Obviously, the 15 turnovers, giving up 13 offensive rebounds is not great. It's not, you know, they, they'll, they can cut that out. I think they'll be disciplined enough to figure that stuff out. They, you know, I've watched their defense. They seem pretty disciplined with their defense and their rotations. Um, so those are just little things here and there. And, you know, it's good to have sort of a game where, I don't know if you thought it was going to be easy, but they definitely had a big challenge. And so to keep their eyes open, uh, you know, they've had some pretty convincing wins before the Big Ten started. But, you know, Big Ten is a different animal. It's a completely different animal. And they got, they got a lot of guys that haven't quite experienced it yet. Uh, I'm not saying that they won't or they don't have the talent to win, but it will be interesting. So hopefully they figure it out sooner than later. I totally believe in them. They have the talent, like I said. Uh, I really don't have too many doubts. But, you know, I've, I've been there where my junior year, we started out like 0-6, and, and we had to have a really, really – frank team meeting about what we were doing and, and what we were doing individually and as a team like are we taking responsibility as an individual and you know you can we luckily clawed back from that and finished well and made the tournament but you know you never know when you're going to have a 0 and 6 run in the big 10 like these things can just pop up out of nowhere and that's just college basketball in general but i feel like especially in the big 10 so we'll see how it goes um you know i'm looking forward to the to the christmas day game i'll turn that on you know I love the NBA, but I'll definitely be watching. So it'll be fun. We'll, you know, and then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. We'll evaluate from there, but I'm, I'm pretty positive about where they're at. And, uh, you know, I believe in Juwan all the way, and I really love this team. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, now we'll get into Nick Stauskas. Uh, appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. I hope you enjoy it. What's up, Nick? Welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you doing this, man. Thanks for having me on, Stu. It's always yeah. good to be here, man. Yeah, so Michigan, I was is a Michigan podcast. We'll start out talking. You said you haven't watched too much of them at all, but um, you know Juwan a little bit. I can can you go into kind of your relationship? Have you still talk to him? When's the last time you talked to him? How's that going? Uh, well, he, I mean, when I came into the NBA, pretty much my whole NBA career, he was an assistant with the Miami Heat. Um, so you know, just playing against the Heat a bunch. You know, he's he kind of stepped out of his way to introduce himself and. 
uh, just kind of like establish that Michigan connection, if you will. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been able to get to know him a little bit, um, over the last like five, six years, uh, but obviously was, you know, very happy for him and, uh, happy for the, just the Michigan basketball program when he got the head coaching job there, just cause, uh, from what I've heard, at least in the NBA circles, like he, he was very well respected as an assistant coach, uh, in Miami. So, uh, and obviously I, I feel like, um, you know, not that Beeline wasn't a great recruiter because, you know, he got a lot of great guys, but I think Juwan will also be able to recruit at a very, very high level. Um, so, you know, I'm excited for what he's going to bring to Michigan basketball. I think they're already they're already on the right path. Yeah, it's funny thinking about Beeline recruiting. Like, you were obviously a great high school player. I mean, I watched your highlights. Everyone at Michigan was really excited to get you. But it's like you developed and it was like, well, you know, we'll see how he is. But, you know, a guy who has the NBA reputation – all that Fab Five attachment, everything. It's just like you're a step above. And it's funny to think about your recruitment and your class, which is amazing. But just the, just the difference, like how Beeline had to work. I mean, his teams, I don't know if you saw the teams of West, West Virginia, but it was like, you remember Pitsnoggle, yeah. you know, Pat Beeline, his son was playing. Like guys, it was like, we got to get the most out of these guys. So it'll be exciting to watch, watch this team for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny thinking about, your commitment. I was just remembering that I hosted you on your official visit. Do you remember that? Yes, I do remember that. Great times. I am the absolute worst person for that. I don't know if you remember it at all. Dude, I had a, I, first of all, Michigan was the only official visit that I took. When did you commit? I committed my junior year. So I didn't take any other visits anywhere. So for me, I was just super pumped to like, go see a game, go hang out with you guys. You know, I got to play a little bit of five on five, I believe. Like I jumped in one of the practices um so i mean for me it was more just like being around you guys and like establishing a bond like seeing how you guys were living so i had a great time i had a blast yeah it was fun i remember though i'm gonna call you out a little bit on this because it's really funny oh no we were talking you have the tailgate right and you're talking to beeline and like you're about ready to go with me and we're gonna go wherever on the official visit and you know hit around campus come hang out whatever and beeline's asking you like what do you want to do you go you know i'll probably just want to see Chrysler, maybe get up some shots. And I was like, you got to be kidding me right now. Like, I got to go back to Chrysler, get up some shots. And then we left and you're like, oh, no, hell no. I don't want to do that at all. <laughs> I was, I was like, like man, let's, let's go see what these tailgates are saying, man. Smooth. Yeah, let's very see, smooth. Let's see what the campus is looking like. I remember we went out. I won't, I won't go too far into details, but we went out and, we, you know, hit up some some house parties, saw some people. And then we saw Vogrich at a party. And Vogrich was there. And I, like I said, I am the worst person to have these official visits. Like I had one, it was you and you were already committed. Like nobody, they didn't worry about you decommitting. So we saw Vogrich and I was like, do you want to just like stay with Vogrich and I'll go hang out with my girlfriend? You're like, cool. I'm down with that. Yeah. No, I do remember. I think you left or you did leave early that night. And then, and then uh, I pretty much stayed with, with Maddie for the rest of the day. That was a, that was a fun time. Oh, he was an unsung hero with those things. Yeah, definitely. He's a hell of a time. Yeah, Matt, Matt knew how to have a good time for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You were obviously a part of that national championship run, and even your sophomore year was just incredible. I mean, I went back and looked at the stats, and it was like just putting 20 points on everyone in the Big Ten, which is so hard to do. And your development from freshman year to sophomore year, I, mean, I think you already had that talent. It was just the stacked team that you were on. But when you were able to flourish that sophomore year, like what was the difference? Like what – what did you do from freshman to sophomore year? Uh, well, I, my summer that I spent after my freshman year with uh, Coach Sanderson definitely really helped. Like, 
just doing like the whole camp Sanderson thing. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he helped me, you know, gain some explosiveness in my lower body and then, you know, just putting on a little bit of muscle in my upper body just so I could, you know, the big 10 was a pretty physical conference. So just kind of getting my body a little bit more mature, getting it ready to, to play against, you know, at a high level. Um, so physically I just felt really good coming into my sophomore year. Like I, I felt like I had improved drastically in that area. And again, my gain, like, I feel like I worked on my game a lot that summer, but for me, the biggest improvement was like just gaining that little bit of explosiveness and confidence of like finishing at the rim and taking contact and doing those kinds of things. And, um, just that little bit helped, you know, take my game to the next level. Cause I do think my freshman year, most people don't know, like I was pretty much the same player, just like a little skinnier, like yeah. a little, um, and again, I just didn't have as many opportunities cause we had, you know, Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway and, even Mitch and Glenn coming in were like big time recruits. Um, so, you know, also just the biggest thing changing my sophomore year was having Trey and Tim leave and, um, you know, also Mitch getting hurt to start that year. Mm-hmm. You know, I think coach Beeline looked at like me, Glenn Karras, and we're kind of like, look, you guys are going to shoulder a lot more. You're going to get a lot more opportunities. And I kind of just, I kind of just took that as a positive and tried to make the most of it. And, you know, early on in the season, I think we were playing in Puerto Rico, like the, uh, like the, it was like around Thanksgiving, that tournament yep. we went to. And I remember I put together like a three game stretch there where, you know, like 24, 25, 26 points and like, MVP. just kind of just, yeah, just kind of finding like where my spots were going to be in the offense, like where I could be aggressive, where I was a little more passive. And, you know, I remember after that tournament, just thinking like, man, I don't, I don't see why I can't do that all year long. You know what I mean? Like I, that yeah. confidence just kind of came over me and I just knew, especially in beelines offense and like how much we watch film and stuff. I was like, Hey, I know this is where my shots are coming from every single game. So once you know that as a player, like you come into a game knowing, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get these minutes. And in those minutes, you're going to get these kinds of shots, these kinds of looks, you know, even on your bad days, you don't worry about it then. Cause you know, you know, you know what you're capable of when you're put in those situations. So uh, I definitely give a lot of credit to like beeline and the coaches for, for, you know, just giving me that confidence and putting me in situations where I could succeed. Yeah, it's key. Physicality is definitely a big thing. I mean, and I've I've seen you. I know you're married, but you're throwing up like the NBA thirst traps on Instagram where you're like, I mean, how much muscle have you gained in like six months? It's crazy. I actually um, when I came back from Spain last year, because like when we were, when I was in Spain last year, definitely like the focus is more like conditioning, like running like in Europe, oh, yeah. I feel like they didn't want me like to be as like bulky. So when I left Spain, I was actually 200 pounds last February. Like it was the thinnest I had been in a long time. I was really thin and I got surgery on my knee. And then by like June, I got up to like 225 because after I had my surgery, I wasn't doing any cardio, but I was still like lifting every day and like still working out, just not getting my heart rate up as much. And yeah, yeah, I got up to like 225 at one point this summer and I've slimmed down. I'm like 215 now probably. Um, But yeah, I got pretty big this summer at one point. I remember, yeah, Spain is definitely a lot like that. Like I played there my first year and these guys are just like allergic to the weight room, but they're nonstop. I remember, I don't know if you know Juan Carlos Navarro. You remember Juan Carlos Navarro? So I got there and I mean, he was in his prime, like hitting one leg runners, like to the side, three pointers, like crazy stuff. And they were telling me, yeah, Juan Carlos like doesn't work out and smokes like a pack of cigarettes a day. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. No, though. I mean, I, I think it's, and I think it's like developed now a little bit. Like they definitely put an emphasis on the weight room. 
yeah. now, but I would say it's like so much more like cardio conditioning than it is like lifting and being strong. Like everything there is about being like in incredible shape and like being able to run all game long. Um, so it's just, it's a little bit of a different approach than, than we have here in America. Yeah, completely. I always, I had a little bit of a tag in college where, you know, I was sort of the annoying white guy. Like me and Novak had, we had tag team the annoying yeah. white guy uh, for Michigan, yeah. basically. And <laughs> you, I mean, you riled up opposing fans like none other. Like you were the Big Ten JJ Reddick. I'm, I'm trying to think of another white guy that riled up fans the way you did. Because JJ was just, it was insane. I mean, he, he yeah. told the story, I think, this summer about, you know, he's talking about to his sister about how he can't do it anymore and blah, blah, blah. Like, did you ever have a point where some things went too far with opposing fans? Uh, no, nothing ever went too far. I feel like it was always like in pretty good spirits. And I, like you said, I play, I played into it a lot. You know, I kind of, <laughs> I mean, you're blowing kisses to Michigan yeah, state. I kind of thrived on it. So I, I definitely didn't mind it made, it just made things more fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that for sure. I want to get into your time in Spain. Cause I was looking up some highlights and the actions you were running were just like some of my favorite stuff. Playing in Spain was like my favorite thing. If I could go back and if I could pick one country to be there, uh, like how was that experience? The difference between sets in the NBA? I obviously know the style is different from, from, you know, my experiences, but if you can explain a little bit from Spain and even just the sets you ran with the team and, and the emphasis on movement and screens. Yeah. Like I, I just, I guess the biggest difference between NBA and and Europe is just really like the ball movement and, and the NBA has really become a predominantly like pick and roll or ISO league and Europe, it is like, it's much more of a team game there. Um, and you can see it just in like the scoring, like to like most people don't realize, but like scoring 20 points per game in Europe in like Euro league is a huge deal. Like not many yeah. people are capable of doing it. And that's why the games tend to be, you know, 75 to 70 and you know you have like you have a bunch of guys scoring you know 11 12 you know 10 points per game in that area but um it's difficult to you know score 25 30 35 points just because the offense is so much more catered towards like the entire team and constant player and ball movement not necessarily one guy like holding and going iso um so like you said it leads to a different style of play but um i think for any player like it's it's good it's you know it's good for you because you learn like you adapt you learn to play different ways um i really didn't know what to expect you know when i went over there last year to spain um but again it was it was kind of like in a way humbling um because it was like every night for me i was going up against guys who i never had like heard of before never <laughs> or hadn't seen them play before and to be honest, they didn't sometimes didn't even look the part. Like I would go up against some no. guys being like, man, like this guy looks like a scrub. And then you go out there, start playing. And it's like, they're making every right read. If you leave them open, they knock down every jump shot. They they're physical. They never get tired. They're just constantly moving. And I'm like, there's, I can't tell, I can't tell you how many games I finished. And I was like, damn, like, how is that guy not in the NBA? Or like, why have I not heard of him? Um, and so for, from that aspect, it was definitely very humbling too. Cause I'm like, man, this, this game has like really blown up worldwide and like you start realizing the talent levels all across the world. So uh, it was definitely a really cool experience. You know, I wish I, w I really wasn't healthy the whole year when I was out there mm -hmm. and that's kind of why I finished my season early to get surgery. Um, so I wish I could have like, you know, been healthy to enjoy it a little bit more because it was a tough year for me physically, but overall there was a lot of positives that I took from that experience. Yeah, definitely. I think everything, 
I see a lot of guys, especially they'll go overseas and I mean, it's immediate. You can see their, their mindset where it's like, I shouldn't be here. And it's frustration on top of frustration. Yeah. And I play with guys that like could have, I think could play in the NBA and they're like on a mid-level Israeli team. And it's just the mentality. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I think, you know, especially for a guy like you, where you've been and the, the accolades that you have and the talent that you have, like to keep that mindset, I think is, is crucial. So like how, how have you dealt with that, with the NBA, you know, bouncing around with teams and, you know, maybe not being able to play a certain way with the ball, like you, you've shown in college, like, has there been adjustments? Are you still trying to be the player that you think you can be potential wise? Or like, what, what is your mindset and attack with that? Yeah, no, it's been tough. Like anytime you deal with failures, like, um, or not like, you know, not things not panning out the way you had it in your mind, like there's going to be frustrations and there's going to be like bad days. Um, but I feel like that's probably where I've matured the most over the last couple of years, just between like the trades and like playing in Europe. Like, I think I've learned to handle failures a little bit differently. And don't get me wrong. Like, you know, there's still days where like I'm upset or like, you know, I, I want to be back in the NBA. I want to be playing at that level. That's, that's still my goal. Um, but just being like more okay with it and trying to look at the positives and trying to, you know, find ways to grow. Like that's kind of been more of my mentality and my mindset. Um, but it's also cool now for me. Like, I, I think for the first time in a while, like I, I somewhat feel like an underdog again, like similar to like the kind of feeling that I had, like when I was coming into Michigan, where I felt like, you know, look, I know I can play at this level, but no one else knows, or no one else really believes that. Um, so I'm kind of getting back into that mindset a little bit right now, like feeling a little bit slighted. And, uh, for me, like typically in the past, when I feel that way, I like tend to play my, I tend to play better, you know, it like, yeah. drives me and motivates me a little bit more. So, um, yeah, for me right now, like my, my goal and my mindset is, you know, I still believe I'm an NBA player and, um, you know, I know I'm capable of playing at that level, but also I think I've changed in terms of like my expectations, you know, of myself. Like, I think when I first came into the league, like, you know, wanting to be an all-star and like wanting to like do all these things, like you obviously have like high hopes and high expectations for yourself. Yeah. Um, but for me now at this point, I'm like, man, I want to be a part of something special. Like my goal is to like, and I think because I haven't played on a lot of, uh, I haven't played on a playoff team in the NBA. It's like, I want to be, a, I want to be a part of a team who's competing for a championship. Like that's what would make me happy. Not necessarily like being an all-star or like, you know, scoring this many points per game. But I think back to my time at Michigan and like how much fun it was being a part of something special, like buying in and then winning, like that's what makes it so much fun. So for me, it's like, yes, I want to get back into the NBA and I have all these goals, but more than anything, I like, I want to play for something. Like I want to be on a, on a team that's competing for a championship. And that's why heading into the season, I chose to go with the bucks um, just because I looked at that situation was like, man, I want to compete for something real. And I want to be a part of a close group. That's, that's, you know, it's all on the same page, all buying in for one goal. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of my mindset moving forward. How is that when you have, you're the eighth pick of the draft, you have those expectations and you play on, you know, some of the not best teams. So where that team mentality isn't quite there with a playoff team. Like, do you feel like as a young guy, it's so easy to slip into, okay, well, if XYZ players are going to start slipping into selfish mode, I'm going to keep looking out for myself too. And that creates such a, a toxic environment at times. I mean, did you have to deal with that or, you know, yeah, were you bought sure. in? Like, was it kind of wavering back and forth? I feel like that'd be really tough. 
for sure. Uh, and like, I, I'm never one to make, I'm never one to like make excuses or, or anything like that. But I think a lot of <clears throat> how a player's career goes is the kind of team, especially as a rookie, the kind of teams you're playing for, the kind of veterans you have around you and the kind of coaches that you have around you to like show you the way of you yeah. know, being a successful NBA player. And um, definitely like my first couple of years in the NBA between Sacramento and Philly, like it was as chaotic and as far away from like Michigan basketball, like to what like Beeline had going. Yeah. That, like it was like getting dropped in a bucket of cold water. Like I remember like after my first year in Sacramento, like we had three head coach, three different head coaches that year and like all kinds of trades and stuff going on. Like I didn't have any type of success personally that year. My head was like, my head was spinning after that year being like, damn, like this is so much different than what I experienced at Michigan. But, you know, again, like it helps you grow in ways that helps you, you know, learn more about yourself. But um, definitely like, like you said, kind of when you see three, four five guys, you know, kind of buying into like selfish play or like, hey, we're not going to win. So like, let me get mine real quick. Like it does kind of create a toxic environment where like it's not as enjoyable to play the game anymore because it's like you're not one, you're not competing for anything. And two, it's it, you can feel it, that it's somewhat every man for himself. And again, that's kind of why I I said what I said before, like my goal is to like be a part of something special and like to have that, you know, to have all 15 guys buy in. Like I miss what we had at Michigan. Like I miss having 15 guys all on the same page and wanting to buy into something. So um, it's definitely crazy to see, you know, over 30 teams in the NBA that, you know, there's a bunch of teams that do play the right way or, um, you know, are, are all bought in and there's a lot of teams who aren't. And, you know, you see that in, in the wins and loss column. So I have my, do- my dogs over here about to jump into the, to the frame. So dogs are welcome. I mean, dogs. Yeah. I think I'm going to have an episode with my dog here pretty soon. All dogs are welcome. <laughs> what kind of I've dog? Seen, I've seen your dog. It's adorable. What kind of dog you have? Uh, husky, like a, like a white type of, some type of Husky. I don't know. She's a cat basically. Oh, wow. Big, like, like big. How, like how many pounds? Like medium size. I think like, like 40 pounds. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. But she's, yeah, she's hilarious. Just like literally a cat. You, you like, if you don't have food, I'm not going to give you affection, nothing like that, but it's yeah. <laughs> still love dogs. Yeah. You and me both know Beeline watching hours and hours of film. I swear four hours of the allotted time for practice. Three of it was film. One hour was practice and weights. I mean, did you have that in the NBA? Was it the same process that first year, first couple of years? Uh, in Sacramento, definitely not. Like we went through periods, like every coach was a little different, but we went through periods where we weren't watching any film in Sacramento my rookie year. Like other than, you know, right before the game, you know, kind of going over like the personnel of the other team. Mm-hmm. You know, um, other than that, we weren't like going in the film room and watching like our offensive sets or our defensive sets, or even like coach Beeline make us like watching the practice over, you know, we would finish passing remember, drills. Yeah. Yeah. Remember some days we would finish practice and then after practice, we go right into the film room and watch over the entire practice. So we definitely didn't have that in the NBA and just with an 82 game season and like constantly every other night, like you're going up against a new team, there's really not enough time for it. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think Beeline more than any other coach I've ever played for, he, he put probably the most emphasis on film study. And I think it showed in our offensive execution. Like when we were at, at least when I was at Michigan, both years, we were probably one of the top offensive in terms of offensive efficiency. We were one of the best in the country. And it's just because everyone was so locked in to like, 
all the nuances, all the details of Coach Beeline's offense, like everyone knew where to be. Like I said, you know where you're going to get your shots, know where you're going to get your touches. And, um, and like I said, it becomes easier to, to be effective when you know that. I don't know about you, but I was sick of it. I mean, I had four years in Michigan, all the film study. I felt like I was there for seven years. And I was so ready to get out. And then you leave and you're like, okay, I wish I could have some of that back. Yeah. Oh, I, for sure. Like um, the, the goal for me was always to play in the NBA and like, you know, same, same thing as me after two years in Michigan, like, Oh, I'm ready to move on. Like I'm ready for something new. And now like I'm at the point where I'm like, damn, like we have something special over there at Michigan. Like I miss that. Like I miss those times for sure. Yeah. You got, you know, recently, you know, last week there was the whole Isaiah Jawan argument and I, and I interviewed Beeline asking if he'd gotten any arguments with players like that before. And I got some stories that I, I don't know if I can tell, but I don't know. I was like a lead player with Beeline. It was different for me. It was like a lead player with Beeline and you being so, I guess, brash and, yeah. you know, full of swag. Like, did you guys ever get into it like that? I do remember one time my freshman year where like, it was probably the only time like he got really mad at me. Like um, we were in practice and this was, um, maybe heading into the big 10 season, like we were about to start playing our first couple of big 10 games and through the preseason games, I remember I was number one in the country in three point shooting. I was shooting like 66% from three. Like it was, I was on a tear and we're in Chrysler the day before a game we're, we're practicing and we're going up and down like against scout team. And, um, I got a couple open looks and like three in a row shots. Like I left them short. Like I missed three in a row all off the front rim, all missing the same kind of way. And I remember like coach Beeline, he's just so big on like the fundamentals, the details that like he pulled me aside and was like, look, like this is the reason why you're coming short. Like you need to step into your jump shot like this, not like this. And was kind of like trying to like change my like footwork, change like the way I was shooting, not change it, but like, Try for me to make an adjustment so I wasn't coming short anymore and like I was like partly like partially annoyed already from missing those three shots in uh -huh. practice that when he came over to me and was like hey like you got to do this 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 I can't remember exactly what I said but I was like coach I'm shooting 66 percent <laughs> I was like I'm shooting 66 percent from three right now like don't tell me how to shoot my jump shot like I got this don't worry and he like he like just looked at me and like took a deep breath and he was like, go touch the top and like made me run the stairs all the way. And I had, literally for like the next 20 minutes, I was running the stairs. And then finally he made me run like two or three times up. And then when I came down, he was like, are you ready to talk now? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, my bad. Like I, I didn't like that, but he caught, I got a little too snappy with him and he, he caught me quick. Yeah. Yeah. I'll step into that. I always just kept everything muttered under my breath basically. Yeah. I remember, I remember specifically one time, I think it was before my freshman year we're shooting. He's came up, he come over and he's like trying to teach me on my free throw routine and shot and everything. And I'm like, dude, I shot 90% in high school. Like what, why, why are we critiquing everything? But it, it is, it's the reason for his success. But yeah, I can definitely, there's definitely times you're like, all right, dude, just let's relax here for a second. Yeah, no. And that's, it's just who he is. Like he's so in sure. with all the details and stuff and, you know, as a player, sometimes you, you, you need to hear those things, but you don't necessarily want to hear them. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, for both of us, we probably experienced it a couple of times where you just, 
either say something under your breath or say something back and you're like, ah, I probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah. That's yeah. No, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut now. Yeah. But your time you, you signed with Milwaukee. You said you wanted to be a part of a playoff team. I, you know, seemed like a great fit. Uh, it's just, it's a tough situation. And I was looking at the box scores. I mean, you got four minutes in one game and then, you know, no plays in the two other, like how do you deal with such a tough situation and coming into such a great team and like trying to fit your way in and not necessarily getting all the opportunities that you want. Yeah. I mean, this, I think this preseason was, you know, coming into it, I knew it was going to be a little different, you know, normally in a preseason you get, I don't know if it's seven, eight games, something like that. And um, you know, typically guys who come in on non-guaranteed deals like myself, like you're at least going to get one or two of those games where, you know, maybe the top three, four guys on the team don't play and you get significantly more opportunities in those games this year with only three preseason games and such yeah. a short training camp, you know, I knew coming into it that, um, you know, I probably wasn't going to get a lot of opportunities in those games. So I was prepared for that coming in, but also, also ready, you know, if my number did get called. Um, but yeah, you know, unfortunately it was only three preseason games. I didn't get that much opportunity. So you know, next for me, I'm going to try to sign with the G League team and and this year and just kind of wait for a call up and kind of just more than anything, get some game reps under my belt and just like get myself into a rhythm. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully it's not the end for me in Milwaukee. Like, you know, I would love to still get a call up maybe down the road or, um, you know, I, I do love their system and I think I fit in well with what they do. But, you know, unfortunately, just at this time with COVID and everything that's going on, like, um, this year, probably more than ever, it was just difficult to make a team in preseason with the limited opportunities. Yeah. I'm sure you got some European teams knocking your door right now, huh? I mean, yeah, going back to, going back to Europe is definitely an option. And I actually, I just got a Lithuanian passport. Um, oh, nice. To, yeah. To be able to passport to, brothers. Yeah, I know. So, you know, just opening some more avenues, you know, in Europe in case I, I do go back down that road, but for this, for this year in particular, like, you know, just coming back from surgery and being healthy. Um, you know, I want to give the G league a chance. And I, I more specifically, I want to give the NBA a chance. Like, like I said earlier, that is the goal for me still. And I know, you know, I can play at that level and, you know, seeing even guys like Trey, you know, seeing the path that Trey Burke has taken the last couple yeah. of years and then getting rewarded this summer from Dallas with the three-year deal, like guys have, you know, fought their way out of this position many a times before. And for me, it's just the same belief. Like, why not me? Why can't I be one of the same guys that fights their way out of this position? So that's my mentality moving forward. Yeah, for sure. I want to ask you some, like, you know, a little more fun questions. You've been in a lot of NBA locker rooms yeah, and you play with a lot of guys. Can you name me like the best leader that you played with? Best leader that I've played with. Um, I think, da I think Damian Lillard was a pretty good leader. Like, just it also I feel like it was like a timing thing like he like really chose when he was like going to speak up and like speak his mind but everyone like knew when he said what he said like he meant it and he was serious and it was just one of those things also just like leading by example like that guy puts in work like playing 40 35 40 minutes a night and then like the next day coming in being the first guy there like making sure he's doing his stuff in the weight room like taking care of his body you know you see him shooting like practicing half court jumpers with ease. And then like you go see him do it in the game and like people are like, Oh man, like he's hitting shots from 40 feet. Like, how does he do that? And I'm like, cause he does it every day. Like 
without, without any days off, nothing like he's doing that stuff every day. So for the rest of the team, like for me, when I came into Portland, it like sets the tone, like your best players in there more than anyone taking care of his body, like getting extra reps up. You're like, okay, wait, like everyone's serious here. Like we need to all be on our, on our game. So um, Dame was probably the best leader that I've seen just in terms of like speaking up and like saying what he needs to say, but also just leading by example and, and always being calm, cool and collected, like never really like getting down or like never seeing him super frustrated, like always keeping that same demeanor. I was like, yo, he's, up here like he's with it for sure yeah yeah definitely and i don't want to you know make this a leading question but then i was thinking about you playing with joel and like how that is two different styles a little more brash a little more outspoken um like are there adjustments like that where you have to where the alpha guy is uh you kind of have to adjust to them and, and does it make it is it easy for you does it make it more difficult how is that no, I, I like playing with Joel. Uh, like, yeah. Thing, yeah, the one Joel's a great guy, and like, if anything, he's more keeping the mood light. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but also like, I played with Joel. Like, really, it was his first two seasons in the NBA. So, like, again, he was kind of just getting his feet wet as well, yeah. just kind of coming back from all those injuries. So, um, although he was our best player, like, again, I don't even think he thought of himself as a leader yet, because like, you know, sure. as a rookie or your first year player, like things are still moving quickly for you as well. So, um, even just hearing his interviews now, like, I feel like he's matured a lot since when I was there, like he's grown up a lot. So, uh, I'm sure now he's probably even got like a more focused and, and more serious demeanor than maybe he had when I was there. Yeah. I mean, people, you know, they'll bash him for all the, like the antics and stuff, but it's like, I think that's what makes me love him so much. He's just, yeah. Yeah. He's calmed down a little bit, but still, it's just like, yeah, I'm Joel. Like, what do you want? Yeah. That's just who he is. He's just being himself. So yeah. you definitely have to respect that. He's not being fake like that. You know, what you see is what you get with him for sure. That's what it feels like. The fakeness sometimes I get from basketball players. It just, I don't know. It bothers me. They try to put on a persona with these things. I'm like, especially in Israel, I'm like, dude, you're, you're playing in Israel. Like, why don't you relax? You, you got to yeah. chill out, play your, play your spot, do what yeah. you need to do and just get going. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay. We'll, we'll, end, we'll end this uh, episode with some quick questions and get you out of here. Number one, what is your most favorite shot that you've ever hit? Favorite shot I ever hit? Um, I would say either, um, the step back that I had at Wisconsin my sophomore mm. year to kind of seal that game um, late. And then the other one was probably, it was a, um, again, it was at Illinois my sophomore year. It was heading into halftime and I hit like, um, I was inbounding the ball at half court and the, uh, what is it? The orange crush. Is that what they're called? They were chanting USA when I was inbounding <laughs> the ball. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And I, passed it to to Derek Walton and he passed it right back to me and I like dribbled into like a like a 35 footer and I hit it at the buzzer and the USA chant like just stopped right away and I just literally turned back and stared at them for like five seconds and it was just it was just a sick moment for me like again I I always kind of played into that stuff um so I really I like that one too that one stood out to me I always said playing at home is great but like hearing the hush of a away crowd when when you do something like that it's It sticks with me. Like, I feel it viscerally right now. I can bring back some memories. All right, question number two. Favorite game you've ever played in? 
favorite game, college or NBA? Yeah. Mm, I would say either. I would say either Elite Eight game against Florida my freshman year. Yeah, amazing. Um, that was like a really like one. I uh, I had a great shooting game, but then two like making it to the like as a freshman playing in the final four like making it to that was just like a surreal experience like that was probably the most joy i've ever felt um and then i would say also in the nba my first game with portland was um lebron's first game as a laker Mm -hmm. and uh we spoiled his debut and like the portland crowd's amazing especially like on opening night and like lebron being in town like it was a crazy atmosphere and i had like 25 that game um yeah, and I, mean, I think it was the first time in my career that i like beat lebron in a head-to-head matchup like i had always whenever i played cleveland in the past or whatever team lebron was on i always lost so uh and he's probably my favorite player of all time so getting to win against him was was pretty cool that night yeah that would be amazing all right for the ann arbor crowd skeeps or ricks skeeps for sure easy right it's easy okay. yeah no doubt okay your go-to spot restaurant in ann arbor Go to restaurant. Well, I mean, if we're just going by how many times I was actually there, the Chipotle on Main Street was probably my go-to spot. Um, Doesn't count. That does not count. That's college Nick talking. Um, NBA Nick. If NBA Nick's going back to Ann Arbor, where's he eating? I mean, for me, I love getting dinner at Melange. That was my that was my spot. I used to. I mean. If I ever had, if I ever had like money from like that my parents gave me or whatever, like, and I wanted to, that was always key. Yep. And I wanted to treat myself to a dinner. I was going there. Well, no doubt. Oh, for me, it was a steakhouse. If I got like my mom sent me, you know, like a little Christmas bonus, basically, it was like, oh, okay, we're going straight to the steakhouse. All right. Last question. We'll get you out of here. What is the, all right. Last question before we get you out of here. What is the best piece of advice or the thing that you took away the most from your time in Michigan? Um, I would probably say uh, I remember coach coach Meyer um, always said this quote to me and I really liked it. It still sticks with me to this day. Um, He said, if your habits don't match up with your dreams, you either need to change your habits or change your dreams. And, uh, I remember he told me that quote heading into my sophomore year, just about like, you know, setting good habits, like with my work in the weight room and all that, you know, setting my habits on the court, all that different kind of stuff. And uh, I just thought that, I mean, that, that applies to like everything in life. Like if you want Mm -hmm. something and you have like dreams of, you know, achieving something, your habits need to match up directly with that. Otherwise you're never going to get the result you want. So um, that was definitely one of the ones that stuck with me the most. That's good. Myra was always good for some quotes like that. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, Nick, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you taking the time coming on the podcast. We'll have to get you on again as we have this thing keep going throughout the year. And uh, yeah, best of luck, man. I know you're going to do great things. I believe in your talent. I believe in you. And uh, yeah, just keep pushing. My guy, I appreciate you having me on. It's always a pleasure catching up. It's been a while. It has, it has been a while. We'll do it again. Yep. Thank you.